0: Unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today?
1: Nathan, I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic and I'm a little bit perplexed about today's episode because it's the Old Master Series but it almost doesn't feel right and you mentioned maybe we have to come up with a new category because it feels like it feels like today's Old Master is still with us sometimes.
1: Yes, well I, I'm going to uh, propose we're going to call it the Younger Old Masters Series and so... Uh, this is a unique edition of our young girl Old master series because I knew this copywriter personally. Mm-hmm. It's Joe Sugarman and Joe passed away in March of last of this year. Uh, I was sad to see him go as were thousands of others outside of the direct marketing world. Joe is known for his Bluebocker sunglasses, which he took to great success using infomercials. Joe also came up with the Batman credit card. And he printed up a huge number only to find out DC Comics was not interested in selling them after all. So he gave them away at events. And actually, this credit card will apply to one, maybe two of the triggers we're going to talk about. Although I don't think Joe intended it that way. And besides the Batman credit card, as you'll hear in today's show, Joe was quite a prankster from early on in life. He wrote a book called Triggers in 1999. And we're going to look at a few of the most powerful ideas from that book. The information in this value packed book is familiar on a surface level to most copywriters and marketers, but Joe brings it to life in a unique way with some great stories. And what I'm about to tell you now should be very familiar to you. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need, but if you make extreme claims and, or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write. And before you start using your copy, my larger clients do this all the time. Okay. So. We're going to go over five of the 30 triggers in Joe's book. I'll share his titles, his names for the triggers, which are lighthearted and memorable, and then give my take on what he has to say about this trigger. And if we're lucky, so will Nathan. Mm -hmm. Each trigger, by the way, is a powerful copy element that will increase your conversions. I probably should have mentioned that at the start, but better late than ever. I think the reason he calls them triggers is that they trigger action on the part of the prospect. At the end of each section, I will share a sentence or two of Joe's advice for using this trigger in your copy. So let's get started. Trigger number one, National Hermits Convention. Mm -hmm. Joe starts out this chapter reminding us we buy for emotional reasons, and then we justify our choices with a logical reason but he points out the logical reason is often anything but unconscious even if the emotional one is people often know exactly what their reason is again even if they're not conscious of the emotional reason the trigger in this chapter is the desire to belong joe writes the desire to belong and identify with a group of people who own a specific product is one of the most powerful triggers in selling and marketing. Then he reports when he brings this up in a classroom, his students sometimes come back at him with this challenge. Well, what about hermits? Don't tell me they have a desire to belong. And Joe's answer is, yes, they do. They want to belong to a group of people who consider themselves hermits. Mm -hmm. But belonging to a group doesn't necessarily mean getting together with each other or being social. Important point, huh? This trigger reminds me of a purchase I made for a continuity program, and I'm sure this trigger, the desire to belong, had something to do with the purchase. I remember 20 years or so ago, I was doing a lot of internet marketing seminars, and there was a service called Instant Seminar. This was before the days of Zoom or other webinar platforms. I subscribed because it was useful, and I was able to make a lot of money with teleseminars at the time. But... Joe's point about belonging to the group. I think that was a major motivation as well. I was an online marketer and a lot of other people in the same group were also using instant tele-seminar. Now truth, I never thought of it this way at the time, but I'm sure identifying with, and in fact, being part of that group was a major buying motivation for me. Mm -hmm. So Joe's action step for the marketer in this trigger is figure out which group of people already have your product and use that to put together your copy. It's a great point. Showing your prospect that current customers are in the group the customer is in or would like to be in automatically increases your chance of making a sale. Do you have any experience or thoughts with this yourself, Nathan?
0: A couple. Number one, it reminds me of the old meme, introverts of the world, unite! But uh, <laughs> the, the other thing that I was thinking of is... I love comic books, and I remember back in the day when I would go to comic book stores, they would have like Magic the Gathering competitions and they would have other like role playing things. And you would see a lot of people who otherwise would be completely introverted, but coming together because even the most introverted, antisocial people out there, they still seek community. So. That was a plain example of people who would normally love to uh, kind of be the weirdos that are excluded from things. And that's kind of part of who they see themselves as and part of their identity. But when you give them the chance to come together and be part of a community, they jump at it. So the National Hermits Convention makes perfect sense to me.
1: I'm really glad you brought up that point. You know, it's so easy to just make all this black and white. You, you know, you do. I'm an INFJ, I'm an ENTJ, I'm a introvert, I'm an extrovert. So many of these things depend on the context, mm-hmm. just like with all these introverted magic, the gathering comic book people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as, as copywriters, we, we need to remember that what's the context in which the person's reading this and what's the context you're talking about it with, because Yeah, the person may not want to go to a fraternity party, but he might like to hang out in the basement with his friends, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to hack a bank or something. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on. All right. The second one is called The Snowmobile That Bit Me, me being Joe. In this case, the snowmobile that bit me was the snowmobile that forced me to buy it. Joe tells an amusing story about going into a snowmobile dealer. I think he lived in Wisconsin or Illinois and the owner shows him a souped-up model that sells for more than twice the price of the regular all the other ones and it speeds through the snow at over 100 miles an hour and Joe says that's the last thing I need but then he finds out only six of these models are allocated to be sold this year in the state he's living in so he quickly buys it even though as he reports a few seconds later in the book, he didn't need any more snowmobiles. He already had more than enough. The trigger he's talking about here is most people would like to belong to a rare group that owns a product only a few people can enjoy. Now, I, I, I don't think this is a rare group, but I still feel special, you know, having this Batman credit card. And again, this kicks up the last trigger of just belonging to a group, but it kicks it up to a whole new level because Mm -hmm. now it's the level of exclusivity. I'll, I'll give you a recent example, besides the Batman credit card. Just in the last week in my own life, there's this music gizmo. It's called a Nuance's MIDI controller. It's basically a small device, hold it in your hand, you can plug it into your computer, and it lets you push slider switches up and down to control things like volume and effects when you're recording and producing music. For example, if you want to create a crescendo or a swell where a horn section reaches peak volume. This would come in very handy. Now, Nuance's controllers are not mass produced and they're not easy to get. I saw one of my online teachers use it in a YouTube video and I saw someone else from an electronics music instruments company use one of these in a demo. But for months I couldn't get one. They're hand produced by an eccentric composer in Paris who does this on the side and the minute they would go on sale on his site, they would all be swooped up. Last week, I was able to get in the window and I ordered one, just waiting for the mail from France now. But an important part is because of the scarcity and the people I saw online who had these nuances controllers, I felt like I would be part of an exclusive group if I could finally score one, pardon the pun, which I did. I mean, I certainly had an intellectual justification for getting one too, because the MIDI controller with the slider switches that I have now is much more complicated and it's the size of a side of beef. So much harder to use. Nevertheless, as a buyer, I saw this exclusive group trigger in action because it triggered me. Joe's action step for this trigger is make your product more exclusive by limiting its availability and making this fact known. Mm Mm-hmm. Got any yourself?
0: Yeah. One of my clients owns an art gallery and also an apparel store that operates out of the art gallery. And part of the exclusivity of art, especially if it's an original print, there's only one. If they make a bunch of canvas prints, they usually do them in a limited run where it's 100 or 150. And then the clothing, they do the same way. The apparel is pre-order only. And they only order as many as get pre ordered and so if you get a piece of apparel from them it 's one out of two hundred and fifty one out of three hundred and fifty and so the people that buy the apparel are often buying for the same pe- for the same reason that the people who buy the original painting, so that the original painting guy can say, "Yeah, this is the only one by this artist." The people wearing the clothes can say, yeah, this is one of 350. And they actually, inside the seam, they they, uh, sew in a patch that has the number one of 350 or 86 of 350. And it's a big selling point for them. And just the last thing that I want to finish off on this is the... Exclusivity needs to feel authentic. It's a lot easier to pull off with a physical product like an article of clothing or a MIDI controller. If you say this is one of 50 digital downloads, it's a lot harder to get that same effect for a digital product that you get for a physical product. So just keep that in mind. Inauthentic or fake scarcity tends to have the opposite effect.
1: Yeah, it basically... Mark's used a scam artist, and that can follow you around for years. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get to trigger number three. Oh, that was a great example, by the way. You know, limited editions of shirts. Who would have thought, right? But Yeah. yeah, okay, works. Yeah, okay, trigger number three. Our president drives a rabbit. This was another funny Sugarman story. At least the chapter started that way. Joe's got a sense of humor, and it ripples through his writing more in the book than in his copy, of course. For this trigger, Joe talks about the fact that even as a wealthy entrepreneur, he drives a sensible Volkswagen Rabbit. And he uses that to justify why a portable tape recorder he endorses costs $100 less than another portable tape recorder a rich, famous golf star endorses. Uh, Both Joe and the golf star fly jets, but the golf star flies an expensive citation jet and Joe flies a more modest single-engine Beechcraft Bonanza, and so on. Joe's point is he likes the best technology at the lowest price, and that's why the reader should trust him when he recommends the more cost-effective Olympus recorder over the more expensive Lanier machine, which the golf store endorses. And his point for the trigger is by comparing your product with others and justifying its value, you are providing the prospect with the logic from which he or she can justify a purchase. This is something I've done successfully when I've been selling an info product, both my own info products and clients' info products. And it works kind of like this. The original form of the information was a live seminar and it cost $5,000 to attend. And this is based on a real example. Then a set of recordings and worksheets might sell online or in the past as workbooks and CDs or even further past cassettes for one or $2,000 instead of the original five. Now, there are exceptions to this, but stay with me. The seminar cost $5,000. Then there was the travel to get to the seminar, say another $100, plus the food and hotel and bar tabs, maybe another $500 to 1000 depending on the venue and how long the seminar has, was. So we're up to a value price of admission of 6500 or $7,000. And of course, there's a value of networking and connections at the event, and those are certainly baked into the higher price. But when you show the value of the original seminar, the value being the price everyone who attended live to get the information paid, the price for the recording can come across as a lot more reasonable or at least justified. That's one way of demonstrating value. By itself, without any context or comparison, $2,000 $2,000 for some recordings and worksheets, seems like a lot. But when you have 50 people who paid upward of $5,000 for the same information, it seems a lot more reasonable. And, and that's just one example of showing value by comparing one product with a similar product. Joe's advice is show the value through comparisons with other similar products. Make sure your comparisons are honest and that the value you claim is substantiated. Hey, let me ask you something. How would you like a complete copywriting course packed into a $10 Kindle book? Yeah? Then let me invite you to try Breakthrough Copywriting. It's only $10 and it's available now on Amazon as a Kindle. Breakthrough Copywriting was originally a $5,000 live seminar I held in Las Vegas. People flew in from all over the world to attend Breakthrough Copywriting. This Kindle book by the same name is a complete version of my four presentations at the seminar. If you would like to dig into copywriting basics or refresh the knowledge you already have, then you'll really like Breakthrough Copywriting. A-listers like John Carlton, Joe Sugarman, and Bob Bly give this book an A+, and you can read the reviews right on the Amazon site. This episode of the Copywriters Podcast is sponsored by Breakthrough Copywriting. Check this book out at Amazon.com today. And now back to the Copywriters Podcast program, already in progress.
0: I'm gonna flip the script a little bit on this one and approach it from the other point of view. $2,000 seems like a lot for some tapes and some worksheets, and you have to show me the value in order to get me to buy. I'm gonna flip it and say that a lot of times when I'm shopping for something, I associate a high price with better value. So when I'm looking for a watch, If the watch is less than $500, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a crappy watch that's not going to last me very long. And if it's $350, if I'm looking at watches and I see one that I like and I click on the ad and it's only $350 or, say, $120, all of a sudden I think, what's wrong with this watch? And if they can do a comparison and they're like, look, we've got all the same stuff that this Rolex has, or we've got the same quartz that this other high quality. Now, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, this isn't a cheap watch. It's just a really good value. So on the inverse side, if your price is too discounted, some people might think that there's something wrong with it, but if you can do the same thing, it can help bring up the perceived value and make it seem like, oh my gosh, I'm getting a steal if I'm only paying $300 for this watch. So it works in both aspects.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great point. You did flip the script, but yeah, very often if you're selling something for cheap, you damn well better justify the price, especially in a market where things are more expensive. So mm-hmm. A really good point. Yeah. All right, how about trigger number four? Instilling authority in the men's bathroom. This chapter includes a funny story about a prank Joe pulled when he was at spy school in the Army at Fort Hollibird in Baltimore. He put up an official-looking sign, complete with regulation numbers, not to touch a switch in the men's bathroom. And get to what the switch was about in a second. But he what the authority thing is he was hijacking the authority military regulations by making up a fake one. So there was this fan that went all the time, and this was a room where they would both shower and shave and do other things that you do in the bathroom, but showering and shaving is the important thing here. And the fan was on all the time. And it gets cold in Maryland in the winter. I know, I lived there. And if you have a fan blowing through a semi-open room when a guy just comes out of the shower, that's not comfortable. So Joe said, by dint of this regulation, you will be court-martialed and prosecuted, blah, 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 blah. don't touch the switch. But he would touch the switch. Mm -hmm. He would turn it off when he went into the shower. And after he dried off and had some clothes on, he would turn it on again so that the mirror wouldn't fog up when he was shaving. Um, Mm -hmm. But the other students were very obedient to Joe's fake sign because he made it look realistic. Mm -hmm. So you could see the early signs of a renegade entrepreneur who made his own rules. (laughs) <laughs> right there at Fort Holabirds High School near Baltimore. What Sugarman says about this trigger, applying the lesson to businesses, establishing authority is something that should be done in every sales presentation, regardless of how big or little you are. Uh, the authority in Joe's story was, of course, the regulation on the official-looking sign all made up. They can clocked it, and you can see this trigger of authority, especially in supplement offers. There are a lot of guru doctors like Dr. Sears who have their own companies and are their own authorities. But some companies will partner with or simply hire an MD to endorse the supplement because doctors convey a lot of authority, including and including one in a health-related promo can add a lot of credibility. There's also one type of testimonial I always recommend for clients and always try and put in my own copy. And that's an authority testimonial for any product. There's a group of people who widely regard one person as an authority and getting a testimonial from that person or there's a group, usually one of those people is another way of using this trigger. So Joe's advice is determine the areas of authority you specialize in and express these areas to your prospects. You might be the biggest, the smartest, the most equipped, the hardest working, whatever the advantages show your authority.
0: Mm. So I have two points on that. Number one, one of my favorite graffiti artists, Banksy, he's an amazing graffiti artist. And he kept having his work interrupted by police officers and people calling the cops on him and he'd have to run in the middle of a painting.
1: And How uncool. How uncool for that to happen.
0: I know, right? Pesky property owners. One day though, he he had the idea, oh, I could probably just put on a city reflective vest and I bet nobody would even bother me. And he started doing that and he wrote about it in his book and he said nobody ever questioned him. Nobody ever bothered him. They thought he was officially working for the city. And so that's, a perceived authority where you get your way. Another one that comes to mind is Cialdini. He writes in one of his books about an experiment where they had People call down to level three of the hospital from level five and say, nurse, I need you to bring me a prescription of whatever, whatever. This is Dr. So-and-so. And And it wasn't even a doctor who was actually on the payroll. It was just a made-up doctor. And the nurses would bring them the medication just because he said, this is Dr. So-and-so. And then the last example of the same thing, and this is going to be a little bit spicy, but I do recall the deliberate injection of Dr. Jill Biden during the whole Corona incidents and the election that happened during that thing. The media constantly referred to one of the presidential candidates' wives as Dr. Jill Biden. So just adding doctor can add a bunch of perceived legitimacy and authority, even if it's not actually there.
1: Great examples. Yeah, all of them. All right. So trigger number five, help, it's a fire. This may be the funniest chapter in the whole book. Joe tells a long, twisted tale from when he was eight years old, and he confesses that to impress a neighborhood girl. He he sets an old abandoned garage on fire (laughs) down the street from where he lived, and his plan was to impress her by putting it out with his new squirt gun. But things didn't go exactly as planned. And you'll have to get into the book to read the long, terrifying story. I'll say this too much. The girl survived just barely. And Joe got in a lot of trouble for burning the building down. <laughs> there was one point in the story where if Joe didn't find some missing scissors fast, his girlfriend could have become a pile of ashes. Fortunately, he did find the scissors in time and but needing to find the scissors in time was the trigger he was illustrating and he says in selling the concept of a sense of urgency involves two emotional aspects in the selling process one is the chance of losing something fear of loss and two is procrastination getting people past it Mm -hmm. so urgency is a common trigger we all know about we all strive for and when we take off our marketer hat and put on our consumer hat, we respond to urgency just as much as the next dude. The example of the nuances MIDI controllers is a good example for me. Besides becoming part of an exclusive group, I was also acting with great urgency after having missed the window three months in a row before that. And if I didn't hit it, I would have lost my opportunity again. Deadlines for special prices or limited quantities are also proven ways to create urgency in your copy. And Joe's advice on this trigger is come up with a solid reason why your product or service must be acted on right away. Provide incentives, reasons to buy now, and strong calls to action.
0: So two things come to mind. Number one, as a copywriter, sometimes I'm on a deadline and I'll be right up to the deadline before I put in my final piece of copy or my final revision. And if the client gives me two weeks to write it, it might take me two weeks to write it. If the client gives me four days to write it, it probably will take me four days to write it. And I think that that is kind of a rule of human beings. We tend to allow things the appropriate space that we're given. So, if you have a small house, you can make everything fit in a small house. If you have a large house, you'll fill that house up. If you have a small paycheck, you'll make ends meet with a small paycheck. If you have a large paycheck, you'll make ends meet with a large paycheck. But as that crunch comes closer, we all, we all have this thing to meet that crunch, to meet that deadline. And so if you're presenting me with an offer and you say, there's no urgency, you can get it today, you can get it two weeks from now. Maybe like, well, I can put this off and I can wait two weeks and then two weeks becomes four weeks and then four weeks becomes never. But if you're like, hey, you gotta get this today because if not, it might not be here. If not, the same price not be might not be here. If not, the boss might come back and we have to stop the sale, all these different reasons. But if you give me a deadline, and you say, you can't wait two weeks. You got to get it done this weekend. I'm probably going to get it did- done this weekend. So just, I don't want to say exploiting, but understanding. That's just how people are. If we give them two weeks, if we give them four weeks, we can expect it to happen two weeks or four weeks from now. If we want it to happen this weekend, we need to give them until the end of this weekend.
1: Yeah, it is human nature. Sad but true, or maybe not sad at all. I don't know, but it's certainly how it we work. Well, let me recap these real fast. and. By the way, we've put a link to Joe's book. The the print copies are hard to find, very expensive. It is out as a Kindle book for five bucks and be the best five bucks you spent in a while. So trigger number one is National Hermits Convention. In other words, the desire to belong. Trigger number two, the snowmobile that bit me or exclusivity. Trigger number three, our president drives a rabbit and that's proof of value. Trigger number 4 is instilling authority in the men's bathroom, which is authority, and trigger number 5, help, it's a fire, is a sense of urgency. So that's about it for our youngest almost almost old master.
0: I want Social. to at, oh, sorry. I want to as we're closing this episode out, just bring it back to something that you mentioned at the very beginning, and that is the Blue Blockers ad. I remember when I first became a copywriter, one of the first ads or first uh, pieces of verbal copy that I went through was the Blue Blockers ad and just breaking it down, how he frames everything and how each step leads into the next and how each objection is taken down one by one and how things that are halfway through only make sense because you already had it pre-framed at the beginning of the commercial. That advertisement, in my opinion, is one of the like top three advertisements ever written. And it's just a masterclass on amazing sales copy and human psychology. And so if you dug this episode and you get Joe's book and you want more, I would highly recommend go back and watch the Blue Blocker's infomercial and watch it with a copywriter's lens. And you'd just be blown away with how amazing that piece of advertising was.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, Joe knew what he was doing. He's a great teacher, but he was also a terrific, tremendous practitioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right, David, thank you so much for putting this together. Listeners out there, if you want more, or if you want to check out the show notes and get the link to Joe's book, you can find that over at copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, we will catch you later.
1: Catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, Just go to GarfinkelMedia.com and fill out the form. That's GarfinkelMedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.